Welcome to Bang on the Money, the feminist financial podcast aiming to smash the taboo around money through honest conversations about mistakes made, lessons learned, and the money myths that hold us back. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Emily Bellet is the author of You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, a practical guide for streamlining your finances and the founder and CEO of VestPod, the digital platform and community that empowers women financially through education, workshops and events. While working for the investment bank Lehman Brothers, she became acutely aware of the financial literacy gap, especially for women. VestPod and You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich aim to change this. In the introduction, she describes going to see a financial advisor and being asked where her husband was. She writes... This question sent me into a fit of rage. Did this advisor not think I was capable of managing my own finances? Maybe I had money of my own. Why on earth did I, and my at-the-time partner, by the way, have to do this together? Was I not good enough full stop? Honestly, I can barely remember the rest of the meeting. I was not born a feminist, but experiences like this can finally open your eyes to the real world, and it shaped who I became. I really believe in sisterhood of women helping each other, so that's also something I wanted to build with best bodies getting women in the room together and and helping them, you know, thrive. Yeah, and taking away that mentality that you're not in competition with other women and that there's not just one seat at the table for that one woman. It's so much, there's much more space for everybody and that when you help everyone together, then everybody moves forward together. Exactly. And that's, I think that's something that's also changing today from, you know, the Lenin and Sherry Sandberg and all these books where we've been asked, asked to be alpha women. And to be honest, that's something I've tried to do in banking maybe at the beginning. So I was wearing a suit, uh, you know, I was very proud and trying to, to be there at the table in meetings. But actually, that's not who I am. Uh, and that's what I've, I'm building Vespa to be not a financial institution, but like, you know, a platform within mm. this financial uh, and a community. industry and a community that speaks to women, that's relatable. We don't need to be someone else. We don't need to be the tough women. Yeah. Uh, and there's some amazing women in banking. And it's also trying to see who are these role models, bringing them to the community and show that we can actually do this together. Mm. Mary Portas has released a book called Work Like a Woman, exactly that, and just changing the mentality that to be a successful leader, you don't need to follow that alpha route and that there are many other ways to approach that leadership exactly and, and I think we I do it my way uh, maybe you know not everyone will like it uh, but w- I think we needed to have more role models um, mm. in the industry that can talk about money without all the jargon uh, without all mm. the vocabulary because I studied finance uh, I studied economics finance in France and actually worked in banking and even myself I wasn't managing my own finances so I realized, okay, what about women who actually don't work in finance, don't have this, uh, this, this finance background? It must be actually really hard for them. And I think it is. Mm. Um, so do you think that there's more of a taboo around money in France than there is in the UK? How do they compare? So I think it was quite hard to find some research on the subject. Uh, but from my experience, yeah, France is really bad. Uh, but the UK is not, is not very good either. And I think most people, uh, when, I, when, I, when women come to my workshop, and we had over a thousand women coming to the workshop, and most of them never had any money conversation. And what kind of age were they? 25, 35 years old. Uh, yeah. A lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different income. Mm. It's extremely important that we start um, all this conversation. Mm. And I realized it's really hard to have this conversation with your best friends. And I, I remember... You know, a few years ago uh, in France, a friend of mine 
asked me how much I was earning, uh, but I was working in banking and she wasn't, and I found this extremely awkward. So for me, creating Vespod was a space where you don't necessarily know anyone at first when you come, and that's a space where you can openly talk about money. And since you don't know other women in the room, it, it sort of feels um, easier. And that can prepare you to then, yeah, go see your employer, um, maybe have the first meeting with a financial advisor, because it's amazing to work with advisors, but I think you have to come um, prepared mm. also. And, and I think it's, it's easier if you've talked about money before, you know where you are today, you know your beliefs around money. And, and having these experiences uh, will really help you in your, in your journey. Yeah, definitely. So how many years was it after you saw that financial advisor and they <laughs> asked that awful question? How many years afterwards did you start Vespod? Yeah. And how long were you thinking about it before you actually launched yeah, so I hate this story with the financial advisor, but it's, <laughs> it's the introduction of the book because it's quite a powerful story uh, and, it, and it's really awful, to be honest. Uh, so I was still working in banking when I had this, this meeting and that made me think a lot about, okay, um, I'm a woman, I'm, I'm educated, I'm sort of privileged because also I work in finance and I earn money. Uh, and I don't have access uh, to this type of advice, or maybe I do, but it's not very straightforward because financial advice can be expensive. It can be intimidating at first. Not all advisors are trained um, to advise young people and to advise women. I think we also have different different needs, different outcomes. And banks or any other you know corporations or even you know government they don't provide financial education so where do you actually learn about these things mm. and i thought okay i went through you know the bankruptcy i worked in private equity i was lucky to have you know a good job for years and this was like something that was always coming up is like this issue of money money and people are extremely stressed about money extremely anxious about money it's really hard to have this conversation so step by step i mean it took me quite some time to realize okay i really need to do something about it um, so after after Liman, actually, I built the first business, um, a tech startup. So I went from being a banker, uh, very, I mean, on a you know good income, and people told me you're, you're crazy, why are you <laughs> quitting this job? Uh, to start a business from scratch, we raised a bit of money. Uh, it, it didn't work out for 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 a few reasons. But I learned a lot and I realized, okay, it's actually quite hard to save. Um, it's hard to save money. It's hard to invest money. Uh, even working in private equity, I didn't put enough money into my pension. I didn't have a pension for a few years. So how do people actually manage their finances? And then I started looking at the statistics. And I mean, as you know, women have you know, one-fifth or 20% pension savings of men. Mm -hmm. We live longer. Uh, mm -hmm. There's still the gender pay gap. Mm -hmm. So what do we actually do to help women, and actually it's more than women, everybody, to, to manage their own finances. So I studied Vespod, um, I was, I just had, my son was a few months old, I was at home and I was like, I really need to do something about that. So I started writing about money and sending mm. it to my friends, and that's how Vespod started. There's one thing that's the technical knowledge on how to budget and stuff, and you can, I mean, I educated myself meeting with financial advisors, going online, reading everything I could, so literally everybody can do it. Yeah, uh, but especially it was... when we've got this book in front of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so everything is in the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's quite easy to to see all these products, mm -hmm. but actually as a consumer, how do you choose and how do you, you know, cut through all this jargon and know exactly what you need for yourself if you maybe don't have enough money to work with an advisor or want to get prepared before you meet with an advisor? 
Yeah, definitely. So speaking of jargon, one of the things I want to do in this episode is go through some of the investment terms, starting with ISA, which I didn't yeah. even know what that stood for until <laughs> about a year ago. Um, individual savings account. Exactly. <laughs> individual savings account. So it's quite a popular product. So everything that we say is not financial advice, by no. the way. Um, this is like purely educational. Yeah. Um, so individual savings account is, is a way for consumer to, to save money um, that is tax-free. So every year you're getting an allowance from the government at the moment for this tax year. So every year the rules are changing, so you have to follow the rules, but you can ask your bank uh, or wherever your, your money is. Uh, so it's £20,000 and your money can be spread over different types of ISA. Uh, so the, the ISA that's the most common is the cash ISA. And this is really like a saving account, a cash deposit. So you can put money there, you can take the, your money out, you, will, you, you, will put a, you lose the tax benefit when you take your money out. But this is a, a very flexible way to save money. And then you have other types of ISA. You have the stocks and share ISA. So when you want to invest money, and we'll talk a little bit more mm, about, about that's what I've got. when you invest yeah. <laughs> uh, and why do you invest. Um, so stocks and share ISA allow you to buy stocks and shares and bonds and, and funds mm -hmm. uh, in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, and what is the difference between stocks and shares and bonds? So stocks and shares are more or less the same thing. It depends if you talk about one uh, share in a company or stock are more like the equity of the company. Just very briefly, when a company needs to raise money, they usually have two ways to do it. Uh, they can go talk in the financial markets, mm. uh, so through uh, equity, for example, so through a, an IPO, and they will give you a share, so you'll become an owner in the company uh, in exchange for, for the money you give them. And as the company grows, the stock price should increase and potentially when you sell in a few years' time, you should make, make money because the share price has increased. But also if some companies generate money, they will start paying you dividends and you can also make money from dividends. Okay. And debt, on the other side, is if a company wants to raise money, uh, they can ask you to just lend them some money. So you will lend them some money. Uh, that's it's going to be called a bond, mm -hmm. and in exchange for the bond, they will pay you uh, monthly or biannually or annually uh, a, something that's called a coupon. So it's like an interest, uh, an interest rate on your money, and at the end of the period, you will get your money back. Mm -hmm. So but if you if you ways. go for shares, then you are not guaranteed to get what you put in exactly back but if yeah. you go for a bond you will definitely get what you have loaned them so not definitely but <laughs> so it's it less risky it's, it's less risky so okay. shares are more risky uh, than than mm -hmm. bonds and also because if the company went bankrupt uh, they will repay their bond holders or their debt holders before they repay the equity holders uh, in terms of bonds uh, the risk is not zero because it depends who uh, is lending uh, who are you lending your money to so corporates uh, I mean corporates may default also on their bonds and government may also default on their bonds but if you lend money to the UK government uh, usually you can get uh, you, could, you should get your money back mm -hmm. and that's why the interest rates on uh, corporate bonds on, on government bonds are actually lower than what you can get on maybe corporate bonds okay and, you know equity pays a lot more because your risk is, is higher yeah. so there's this relationship of risk reward usually so when there's more risk you usually should get uh, a higher uh, return and when there's less risk you should get a lower return on your money Okay. And then what is a fund? 
How does that work? So a fund. So I just I'm just gonna tell you my experience starting to to invest money. So I started mm. investing actually in single stocks. How old were you when you started I to was, invest? Um, maybe 23 or something. I started investing in, in single companies because I was working in private equity and I was looking at single companies and I thought I know how to analyze companies and I'm going to do the same for myself. But it actually takes a lot of money to look at into single companies um, and it's very risky. So I, I mean, as you can see from Lehman Brothers, people who had uh, shares in Lehman Brothers when the bank went bankrupt, they lost everything in one day. So I think the lesson is don't put all your eggs in the same basket and so don't invest all your money onto one stock or buy one company that you like but try to diversify mm -hmm. and diversifying into maybe five different companies is maybe not going to be enough because if one uh, goes down it's 20% of your portfolio so it's a huge amount and that's why we're looking at funds so funds are a pool of money um, and collectively they will invest in a lot of different uh, shares or bonds I mean there's equity funds there's bond funds um, and it's now become quite easy to invest in this type of funds and robo-advisors can help you do that is that correct they yeah. use funds Yeah, so when you start investing money, you have a few different options. So you can, I always talk about the micro-investing first. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a really good app for that that's called Moneybox. Mm -hmm. uh, and Moneybox, they will invest uh, your spare change for you. So they will take your spare, spare change from your any purchase that you do during the day. And they will put it into a lot of mm. different investments. So it's like if you buy a coffee for £2.50, the 50p gets yeah. rounded up. And then that goes into a stocks and shares ISA. Exactly. So stocks and I think they have also other fine other products. So maybe I think they started to do the pensions also. Yeah. Um, there's also like a more general investment account. Mm -hmm. So you can you can basically choose the structure or mm -hmm. choose the, the financial product. So is it an ISA, is it a pension? And then you can invest through these vehicles. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the robo advisors. So robo advisors are like the new uh, new thing on the market. So robo advisors, they're not really robo and they're not really giving you advice. <laughs> <laughs> so the name can been misleading um, but what they do is basically they can invest your money for you mm. and you can choose uh, when you go on this platform for the first time you answer uh, a few questions about your risk profile mm -hmm. and you will try to understand am I a low risk investor am I a medium risk investor am I a high, high risk investor and that will determine de determine the proportion of shares versus bonds in your portfolio so if you're quite young usually you, you could take uh, more risk because you have more time in case you know and buy more shares and, and fewer bonds and fewer bonds, and fewer bonds. Mm. Uh, if you're medium, uh, medium risk maybe it's more balanced and mm. if you're low risk investor or because you're approaching retirement and you don't want to take as much risk, um, there's going to be more bonds in your mm. portfolio. But with your £25, you will be able to get exposure to a whole range of investment that you wouldn't be able to, to do on your own, basically buying yeah. individual funds. Mm. I found the rule of thumb, kind of, and it is definitely a guideline rather than yeah. a hard and fast rule, but if you take 100 and then you minus your age, that can be quite a good guideline of how many stocks and bonds and the ratio yeah so for me 77 
percent stocks exactly 23% bonds Um, and actually what I did so I was on a panel which was talking about money management and investing and I realised I had never invested money so I thought I should probably put my money where my mouth was and uh, so that day I knew that Wealthsimple were also going to be on the panel so I downloaded Wealthsimple and I used Starling for my money so I went into the marketplace connected it all up literally took me 10 minutes and I just do a direct debit every month of five pounds and that is something where I'm never going to notice that that's not there but then it just gives me a kind of taste of what it's like and the reason I don't want to do more than that now is because I'm focusing on my emergency fund first and that's something that I've definitely learned a lot about from your book Um, so that's my next question what should people do before they start investing higher amounts what should they do before they go and do that yeah so I see a lot of uh talks on the market at the moment about women in investing and women should invest or women don't invest enough so I think everybody now feels the pressure that they need to invest money but investing is not necessarily for for everyone so first I think there's this misconception that you know investing is is for men it's expensive so I talk about all this myth um, in in the book I think investing is really for everyone but there's a few prerequisites before before getting started so you mentioned the emergency fund but there's also another thing is around debt uh, and credit card debt so when when I start the workshops around investing I usually ask people to make sure they don't have expensive debts because, for example, if you have a huge credit card balance and you're paying maybe 18 to 20% uh, APR on this credit card, this is, re- this is a, a rate of return that's going to be really mm. hard to get in mm-hmm. the financial market. So you should definitely focus on repaying this debt. And once Because the 18% APR, that means you're paying a lot of interest exactly. on what you borrow. So yeah. you really need to cut that back before yeah. you start putting that money into in- investments. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also building an emergency fund, you mentioned it. So an emergency fund is a pot of money you have on the side and if anything happens it can be you know any medical emergency maybe you lose your job you need money uh, you need to do some repair in your in your flat you have a pocket of money and you can take money from it because if you don't have this emergency fund you will need to use your, your credit card it's very easy to use our credit card but then you may be struggling actually repaying uh, your paying your credit card mm. so for me these are extremely important so repaying expensive debts uh, and also building up an emergency fund and would stu- what would you say about student debts and how should people approach that I think around student debt you have to think about how do you feel about having some debt uh, student le- I, I see student loans more as a tax uh, so when you start working you will start repaying your student loans I think for me it's, it's a massive burden if you start thinking about repaying your whole student loans before you can do anything else financially so when you start working you're going to be starting repaying your, your student loans but you also have to think about your other savings so you know short term savings are extremely important but mm. also long term savings mm. and I think we always postpone our you know decisions of saving for the long term but it is actually so important to start very young. So as soon as you have your first job, you should start saving for the long term because of interest compounding, because of wanting your money to grow over time. Mm. I love that quote from Albert Einstein that yeah. you included. What is it? He described it as the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think it's a urban legend, but uh, we really, <laughs> I really like it. Uh, I think compound interest is really building up interest 
interest on interest and compound interest works on everything it also works on savings uh, so for example if you know you have a saving account and you earn 1% on your saving account after one year uh, your 100 pound that you have on your account will grow to 101 pound but the year after the interest is going to be calculated on the 101 so time after time after time even if you don't add more money into your account your money will grow Okay. But now we have an issue is that inflation in the UK at the moment is above 2%. Yeah. And if you look at your basic um, saving accounts or cash ISA, there's a very good chance that you'd be, you'd be getting around 1% interest. Mm. So when inflation is above 2% and you get 1% on your money after a year, you only lose a little bit. But after 10 years, you won't be able to buy the same things with your money because mm. prices in the economy will grow faster than your money. So that's really important to start investing when we think about long-term goals. Mm. That's something that I just didn't understand until it was after I read Money, a User's Guide by Laura yeah. Waitley. Yeah, really and she's book. got a fantastic chapter yeah. in um, that on investing. I just didn't understand that that's why it's so good to invest because you're trying to beat inflation yeah. so that your money isn't actually going down. Because if you leave it in a, if you, even if you have cash kind of hidden underneath your bed, that's yeah. actually losing yeah. its value because of inflation. Exactly. And you can go look at the inflation actually on the Bank of England website. They have this inflation calculator. You can yeah. change the date. You can play with it. I'm not sure it's funny, but at least you'll see um, in real numbers the yeah. impact of inflation on your, on it was your money. Fun. Yeah, I went to um, get an ice cream the other day from uh, where I used to go when I was at school. And we were shocked. The prices have gone up so much. <laughs> we're just thinking, this is inflation in reality in ice cream yeah. terms. So something I love in the book is that you talk a lot about your the motivation for saving or yeah. investing or growing your pension and thinking about your individual goals for money. Yeah. Why was that important for you? So I think it's it I found it really hard uh, to start saving and just building pots of money. Uh, also because I think I was working in finance before so I was earning a good salary. And the more money you earn, the more money you want, actually. And mm. you don't necessarily give a purpose to your money. Um, and when talking to a lot of women and reading a lot of research, I realized women want to have some goals. They want to be saving for something. They want to be investing for something. And women really care about... Uh, I think women really love impact investing, for example, uh, or they reinvest their money into their families, into education, into you know protected people around them. So I thought, okay, what? how can we look more holistically about our money and basically look first at financial goals? So the first chapters of the book, you, you almost won't see any numbers. It will be more about you know your, your money mindset and how you feel about money, trying to understand why you make today um, your spending decisions and stuff like that. And before diving into a budget that can be really boring, it's trying to understand how can you save four different things in life. So for me it was how do I save for this year? So my goals for this year, maybe go on holiday uh, during the summer, make sure I can spend money um, when I'm traveling. Uh, how can I repay, you know, make sure I repay my credit card at the end of the month. But also I need to save for what's going to happen in five years time. So, I mean, maybe 
you want to get married, when you want to buy a car, you want to buy a house, what's going to happen in 10 years and what's going to happen in 25 years. Because I think it's going to be really easy to save uh, for the next year, but it's going to be really hard to save mm. for retirement because you can't really see it. Mm. So I like to, to, to sort of build um, a financial plan for me that has all these different pockets of money and I'm able to put money into each of these pockets at the same time. So I don't compromise the long term by just putting all my money into the, into the short term. The short term, yeah. yeah. I think that's the other thing that's good about investment is that you should be kind of okay with not having that for five years at least. So then yeah. that you're automatically saving for a longer term goal yeah um which yeah again is is helpful for me because sometimes I just focus on the short term yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm saving for this holiday or this whatever it yeah. is um but that's good to put that separate and away um yeah yeah and I think I mean as you say investing is for the long term so in in the book at some point once we've established all our financial goals then I go into talking about investing but it's trying to understand for each of these goals so the goals you should give them a name you should have you know a, a duration uh, you should know what is the money for maybe you could have even this mood board and mm. try to visualize your goals and that really helped them to save for different purposes definitely but once you look at these goals you look at the long-term goals and for this it's better to start investing money because you know you won't need the money for as you say maybe five to ten years uh, and your money will grow hopefully uh, so you will take a bit more risk than just keeping it in a saving mm. account but at least hopefully you have the opportunity for this money to grow into the long term if anyone who buys this book and reads it they need to read it with a pencil because you <laughs> you should be making notes and then fill in all the tables and I think it's so helpful to just write down your goals and then be specific about it so as you say in each chapter there's a lot of exercises tables with like where you can write all your numbers I mean this is your book you can just keep it for yourself uh, and when you go see maybe your advisor or you talk to your partner at least you have your numbers you own your numbers so I think that's very important mm -hmm. and for me that was something you know I think a lot of us we receive our bank letters and we're always a bit worried to open them now we have all the apps and the Monzo and the Starlink so we have the updates on, on our accounts but we need to go into our pension statement, see yes. how much money there is there. So in the book, I talk about this exercise of calculating your net worth. Uh, so the net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. So it's basically everything you own minus everything you owe uh, to, to banks or to someone. And you need to find all these numbers. Mm. To find all these numbers, you have to go into each of your bank statements, saving accounts, current accounts, uh, your pension statements. Um, then go into your you know, mortgage statement, uh, student loans, and yeah. even writing. Student loan was really hard. The really passwords, hard I, I just couldn't find it. And yeah. then I was on the, I just couldn't get through to a human being. It took me so long. And I just was there, don't, yes, no, yes, I don't know. That's why I'm calling. <laughs> yeah. But I did get there eventually, and it is horrifying. I've got £42,000. Yeah. Ooh. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it feels feels good that I actually know that number now because if yeah. you face it then you can include it and you're not kind of in the dark thinking, Oh well it was twenty seven thousand for my fees yeah. and then I don't know what it ended up being and what's the interest and all of that. Exactly. So it does help yeah. facing the numbers is is scary, but yeah. that's the first thing you've got to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are actually scared of, of numbers and mm. and it comes from the fact that I think we didn't receive any financial education, so you know, finance is not taught in schools. So how do we learn about money? It's actually from 
you know, very young from our parents, from the way they were handling money. Mm. And most of our financial habits, according to research, we get them from between three-year-old to seven-year-old. So it's just the way you saw your parents handling money or actually not handling money or talking about money in a certain way or giving you pocket money or not giving you pocket money. And I think we keep all these, these habits. And now we are grown-ups, we need to look into our own finances, but we don't necessarily have the confidence to do it. So I think it's all about, okay, I need to do it. And, and only you can do it. I mean, you can you can pay an advisor to do it for you, but that's going to be quite stressful also. So mm. you need to come uh, prepared and understand mm. your numbers. Mm. One of the other things I really like about the book is your money talks with various incredible women. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wanted to ask you some of the questions yeah, that you asked them. <laughs> so what is your earliest money memory? Have you got one? Yeah, so I think the earliest one uh, was to actually see my parents, um, you know, opening their bank statement at the end of the month and okay. then taking their box of receipts okay. and trying to like highlight whatever was on their statement and check if that was if there was any reconciliation between them. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of work and yeah. how we manage money. A lot of paper. A lot of paper. <laughs> so I've moved to, uh, you know, <laughs> apps now yeah. and, and I feel much better. But I think one of the memories for me about money was more um, at university. So when I was a student, I was actually, uh, I didn't have any pocket money for my parents. So I was actually working, do a lot of different jobs, giving like math classes, uh, being um, working for like exhibitions and stuff and, and earning some money but I was always spending all my money and even more than that so I was constantly in overdraft but for me that wasn't an issue at all um, mm. so we were talking with my friends and we we're like you know oh, yeah, we're broke we're broke and it was sort of cool to be broke and with no money and now when I realize I'm like wow how how can it be cool not to have any money when you're you know at university you're in your 20s I mean you should really think about this thing so of course in, in a way it was good because I knew I could always go and work and earn more money and then spend it uh, but at the same time you know, it's it's just trying to understand that yeah, savings savings are good. They're done for something, yeah. and trying to be responsible a bit, you know, earlier on. Definitely. Um, are you older? Have you got brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got a small brother. So you're the older yeah. one. Do you think that that makes a difference in like how you have an attitude towards money? Yeah, because he was much better than me actually. Uh, my brother was a really good saver, so each time we had a bit of money, maybe for Christmas, or he would save everything. I would spend everything uh, so maybe mm. he was seeing me spending my money and, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be much more, yeah. much more careful about my money and is there a standout kind of mistake do you think that going for that single company approach in your investing would you yeah so that was a mistake because I investing in single stocks I lost money but at the same time I learned a lot so I was lucky that it was early enough and mm. for me we can talk about investing a lot you can read books about investing but if you don't have any money invested and you talked about that before I mean if you don't have any skin in the game I don't think you can actually learn about investing mm. I think you need to have this feeling of you know I, I can earn money I can lose money but your money is actually invested and that's how you're gonna make some mistakes so start very small and start to invest regularly because if you make some mistakes and you lose 25 pounds it's okay but I think the biggest mistake I made is uh, after Lehman, I didn't have a pension for a few years. Um, and I was yeah 25 years old. And actually, the earlier you start, the better. So you should really take advantage of this mm. workplace pension because you're going to get some money from your employer. You're getting money from the government. Make sure this is invested properly. 
check who's managing your pension, yeah. what type of default funds you, your money's in, but really make sure you're investing for the long term. And I mean, uh, 10 years ago, pensions were not mandatory, so I missed out on a few years. And if you look at the interest, uh, the compound interest uh, curve, the money you put in early is the most powerful, so it's very important to start mm. early. So that was my biggest mistake. Definitely. I've, well, I went freelance earlier this year, and I sort of no longer in an yeah. auto-enrollment pension. Yeah. And then I have also been furnishing my new flat and sorting all of that out. So lots of credit card debt uh, has happened, which I've now managed <laughs> to clear. But then it's kind of trying to prioritise everything, isn't it? I'm just building up that... Every, that fund that I can have there if something goes wrong and I have easy access to that. But then also I really want to focus on putting a certain amount each month into a pension and setting yeah. that up and making sure that it's just, it's almost like an expense that just every time I'm paid on that day, yeah. it's like that goes straight out along with my rent, basically. And it's really hard for, for freelancers. I mean, I've been free, freelancing for a few years because freelancer you always paid late you have to chase invoices um, and then at the end of the year you have to pay your taxes and usually pension is is nowhere around this because it's not mandatory to have a pension you have to actively go and open your personal pension open your SIP self-invested personal pension and you usually wait until the end of the year to put your money but then you pay your taxes and usually you end up with yeah you haven't got much left (laughs) exactly it's trying to have this discipline of every month uh, trying to save at the beginning of the month so each time you receive payment from a client then you know there's a percentage that goes directly into your pensions and into your savings instead of waiting until the the end of the year basically Mm. and do you have a money motto yeah I have a money motto um so for me, it's not about being rich, it's about being in control. And I know the book is called You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, and people are telling me, I'm going to be really rich with your book. <laughs> uh, so there's no option uh, about getting rich quickly. Uh, it doesn't work. And, you know, I think a lot of people invested in, in Bitcoin and in cryptocurrencies because they, they thought it would make a lot of money. But I think for me, it's a lot about the long term. Uh, so making all these small changes today, the small habits, uh, the very small savings, and that should get you rich in the future. But what is rich? I mean, we always want exactly. more money. Exactly. Um, so I think it's trying to really realize what's the power you have with money. And, and for me, the, it's the power is being able to build my business. It's investing in other female businesses. It's investing in you know businesses I know or put my money basically where, where my mouth is. So mm. really understanding the power of money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing with which, where does that come from? What's the de- definition of it? And it's different for every person. Exactly. And it's like always a, a ladder rung above yeah. where you are. <laughs> it's just like unreachable. <laughs> and stop comparing yourself with others. I know it's super easy to say, but, you know, on social media, we always think, you know, we're the poorer, we're the wealthier, yeah. this person has that. Yeah. But it's okay. Like, yeah. you know, you'll get there, but you need to really start today. What do you wish you had known about money when you were 16? I wish I'd known about uh, very basic saving skills, not only, I mean, not even investing, but really saving and budgeting. So understand that each month you earn some money, each month you have to spend money. The difference between the two, you should save it. And that should help you build wealth and have more freedom, have, you know, that money is basically freedom. And in the future, you'll be able to have your family, change job, do you whatever you like, but it's really understanding this very basic thing about earning um, minus spending, uh, so basically building up your savings. 
Thank you so much for listening to Bang on the Money. You can find out more about Emily at Emily LDN on Twitter or at Vestpod. And you can buy her book, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich from all good bookshops. Thank you to Millie Ashbridge for the music and Bahas for the cover. And please do rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find the podcast.